trees went out to name themselves the king. This is Grace Talks, a production of Martin UMC, an open and inviting United Methodist Church in Martin, Michigan, a co-charge with Shelbyville United Methodist Church, which worships on Sunday at 11 a.m. Martin worships Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and we would love to see you there. But the olive tree said, should I stop making all that I know as human beings? Our scripture text today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Now the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare, ta prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink, and later you may eat and drink? Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves, we have done only what we ought to have done. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, God, our Lord and Savior. Amen. On October the 4th, a few days ago, Christians around the world celebrated in the Feast of St. Francis, one of the myriad of Catholic feast days. And even though we're not Catholic, we can still take a moment to appreciate the life of Francis of Assisi. Francis of Assisi lived in the 13th century and was born into a wealthy cloth merchant in a time when the gap between the rich and the poor was considered something that was divinely appointed. It was a time of religious crusades when Christians and Muslims were killing each other, all supposedly in the name of God, but in reality in the name of land conquest and colonization. And so in a time like this, Francis was something of an anomaly. He was one of the great critics of greed and wealth and materialism, and he was one of the earliest Christian environmentalists, a reformer of the church and a classic objector to war. Francis' approach to faith was simple. He saw it as something simple. He read the words of Jesus Christ. The words about selling your possessions and giving the money to the poor. The words about not worrying about tomorrow. And the words about loving our enemies. And he decided to live as though Christ actually meant what he said. There's another quote that's attributed to Francis that is simple and profoundly relevant here in our own world. Quote, the more stuff we have the more clubs we need to protect it. And so be, like, be free like the lilies and the sparrows. And so with an unmatched, what some would say innocence, what others might call lunacy, Francis stripped naked and walked out of his home in the monastery of Assisi to go and live like the lilies and the sparrows of the field to live among the outcast and the ostracized, after putting clothes back on, of course. 
and to live close to the earth and become friend to bird and creature whom he referred to as brother and sister. In what was perhaps Francis's greatest and most memorable act, he decided that he was going to meet with a Muslim sultan during the Fifth Crusade. This was at the height of when everything's were, everything was at its most crazy. At this point, war had become systemic. It was something sanctioned by the church, and Francis was sent off as a soldier. But he soon found that he couldn't reconcile the violence of war with the grace of Jesus Christ. And so he stopped. He climbed down from his war horse, he laid down his sword, and he began to plead with his military commander to end the fighting. The, man, the commander didn't just refuse, he cut off all diplomatic relations with the nearby sultan, who in turn ordered that anyone who brought him the head of a Christian would be rewarded with a gold piece. Francis, then prompted by the spirit, wanted to try something different. And so he put aside his worry, he put aside his fear to death, and he risked great danger all in order to see the sultan. He traveled through the active war zone where he was inevitably met by soldiers of the sultan who beat him and enchained him and carried him to the sultan's camp. Francis was then given the opportunity to talk, or more so preach, unaccosted to the sultan. And so he preached of God's love, of God's grace, of God's forgiveness. And the sultan was so moved by Francis's humility, by the great personal risk that he had taken, by the humility that he had shown, that he offered him friendship and gifts and money. The gifts and money Francis refused because he'd already renounced these things, and so what use did he have for them? But one thing that he did, well, there was one thing that he did take an ivory horn that the Muslim community of the Sultan used in their hour of prayer. Francis returned home carrying this horn with him, and he began to incorporate it into his own worship to summon his own community towards prayer as a symbol of interreligious work, as a symbol towards the work towards peace in what seemed like irreconcilable communities. Both Francis and the Sultan were transformed by their encounter with one another, but the thing about this is that neither one of them converted to the other one's faith. But the impact was still undeniable. It showed that peace was possible in a time when peace seemed so unachievable. And so this scene continues to serve as an example in our work towards interfaith dialogue and relations. And so with all that, with this story of St. Francis in the back of our minds, we turn and we look towards the passage today. The disciples approach Jesus and they ask him, increase our faith. Increase. No, my children. If your faith is just the size of a mustard seed, you can speak to this mulberry tree, you can tell it, plant yourself into the ocean, and it will do so. 
And so the common thing, the common track that a pastor might take here would be to take this passage and say, see how little faith you need. Obviously, you don't have enough. It would then inevitably probably turn into something of a bully sermon about how unfaithful we are as the church. And maybe that's true, but that's not what I'm going to do today. Because in examining the life of St. Francis and examining the life of Jesus Christ, we might note something about the Christian understanding of power and understand that maybe what is small is what is good. The understanding of strength, the understanding of greatness, the understanding of what it means to increase in the Christian world is different. In the Christian understanding is different. As John the Baptist would say in John, sometimes increasing looks like decreasing. As Christ tells the disciples, you don't need a great deal of faith in order to see the world transformed. All you need is a seed. All you need is a scrap. To increase is to decrease. To be great means to be small. What if instead of simply saying that the disciples have no faith at all, what if Christ is saying that they need only a small amount of the faith they have? If you have but this little faith, the world can be transformed. Like the similar words found in Matthew, the words of Christ have a message that was relevant to the ears of the audience. So here in Luke, Jesus says that faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mulberry tree. In Matthew 17, Jesus tells the disciples that faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Which, as I said, was relevant to the people of the day, it was something that would have caused their ears to perk up because they would have recognized what it was that Jesus was saying. The people, the disciples that Jesus was speaking to, had lived in a time of great and powerful acts done by King Herod. Herod had engaged in his own acts of environmental transformation, his acts of building himself a great legacy that would outlast him. From the renovated harbor of Caesarea on the Mediterranean to the west, to the restored fortress on the plateau of Masada to the east, and even the aptly and self-named palace of Herodium to the south, the disciples would see their own world repeated in Jesus' message. Over a period of years, Herod had used the work of slaves to craft one of the greatest pieces of architecture in ancient, near, in ancient Near East history by literally moving a mountain, bucket by bucket, from one place to another. The image in the people's minds are of great principalities. What that means is great rulers and nations who would perform great feats who would transform the world through economic and military prowess, through greatness, through great and mighty acts. And yet Jesus tells the gathered disciples that it is not those who are the greatest or the strongest who will transform the world. It is the least and the lowest. It is those who are likened to a slave. 
As Christ seems to suggest, it is not the faith that is the size of a tree that will move a tree. It is the faith the size of a seed. As Jesus always seems to be doing, his image of the kingdom is not one that is rooted in power, or at least not power as we understand it. It's power rooted in the least and the lowest. This theme of weakness, not strength, powerless, not power, humility, not trumpeting, runs all through Christ's life and witness, especially here in Luke, where it's the starting point. In the very beginning of Luke, in Luke chapter 1, Mary sings the Magnificat, the song of Mary, when she hears the good news of Jesus. She lays out an image. She lays out an idea of what the life of her son will be like. Christ is the one who lifts the low and humble and tears down the mighty, who feeds the hungry and turns the rich away empty. A few chapters later, when Christ announces himself in Nazareth, he speaks of freedom for the oppressed, good news for the poor, sight for the blind. When he speaks on the plain in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, he speaks of blessings and woes, blessings for the low and mistreated, and woe for the comfortable and mighty. And so with St. Francis, who we celebrate today in memory, there has always been this tradition of recognizing the Christian understanding of power. This attention paid to the powerless, this attention paid to the lowest, this attention paid to the weakest, to the stranger, to the ostracized, to what Christ called the least of these. For where is Christ found? In the least of these. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of outcasts. It's a kingdom ushered in by the lowest and the weakest. The meek shall inherit the earth. It's a kingdom ushered in not by might, not by power, but by humans acting how we're supposed to act, by life serving life by reassessing our understanding of power, our understanding of strength, understanding that the greatest and most powerful act in human history is not the power or the strength of great and powerful world leaders or nations. It's not great acts by the wealthy or the rulers. No, the greatest act in human history is Emmanuel. The greatest act of human history is that moment somewhere in the Judean countryside 2,000 years ago when a baby cried. The majority of us in here are parents. Wasn't the most powerful moment in your life not something that happened, something that you did, but wasn't the most powerful moment when you heard that baby cry for the first time? It's not blind power that changes the world. It's not a God who is so big and so powerful that he just destroys everything that doesn't agree with him. 
It's not strength or might or even faith the size of a mountain. It's not faith that will transform the world. It is not slaves moving a mountain one bucket at a, one bucket at a time. It is the indwelling of the Word of God in a world where we are slaves no longer where there are no rich and poor, where there are no strong or weak, where we are one in Christ Jesus. The kingdom of God begins as something so small you could miss it. Something so small that you could step on it and carry it somewhere new. In God's inverted kingdom of opposites where to be great is to be low, to be high is to be tiny, Christ is doing something new. Christ is transforming the world and we have greater things to see. Amen.